Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. No Yens today, so I'm going to fly solo on this one. And I'll keep the opening and probably end uh, with the music news a little shorter than usual. Uh, I have a little bit of a cold uh, that I got from my son. Uh, he was so generous to share with me over the, the weekend. Um, and uh, uh, it's lingering. So I um, don't want to do too much talking to myself uh, in, the, in this opening. But I am excited that we have... Um, Rick Ventura from uh, Riot Act on the program today. We had a great conversation and uh, and really dug into his old uh, work with Riot and um, and how um, they've you know come back around and he's continuing to make awesome music. They have a, a new album uh, called Closer to the Flame, which uh, I recommend checking out. Um, and uh, and it was just such a pleasure to talk to him I mean, about all the tours that they'd uh, been on and notable uh, acts that they've done. Um, outside of that, what's going on in my life? Oh, I'm a homeowner now for the first time, uh, which is exciting. Uh, I don't get to step foot into the home until the end of April, though. Uh, not again, anyway, <laughs> uh, until the end of April. Because, uh, because the current owner of the home... Um, Hey, well, here's here's what happened. Okay, so I texted to, with my realtor to uh, just confirm what the uh, date I would have the keys of the house is. She said, "Let me get back to you on, on that." Um, and um, my understanding was that I would have the keys on St. Patrick's Day, uh, which I had a, a, a plan to do the first half of the move on March nineteenth, two days after St. Patrick's Day, and. Uh, and then just take a bunch of stuff, leave it in the garage for the first half of the move, stay in Napa for the uh, uh, remainder until late May, uh, since my kids will be continuing to go to school in Napa uh, uh, through the rest of the school year. Uh, that was my plan. Uh, so found out from my realtor that uh, my dates were actually off of what I had been told. Uh, I would have the keys. So, okay, that was a little annoying at first. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to have to move the move date or uh, the owner will have to get out two days earlier. Uh, but there was a wrench that ended up being stuck in the spokes uh, in that uh, the current owner of the house actually uh, moved to Texas, lost her job, uh, the move back to California, and wanted to stay in the house and uh, asked if she could keep it. Okay, uh, yeah, not too interested in that. Um, I'll tell you, um, I have, I, we paying a lot of taxes on uh, money that I had to pull out of stock that, uh, it, that, that the current owner would have to pay if that were the case, right? Uh, if I let her uh, just keep the house and walk away after uh, I've gone through this much of the process, signed so many pages of documents, it's, I mean, the house is mine, right? I don't, I'm under no obligation to uh, do that. Um, where it got a little uh, interesting though is uh, since I don't need the house right now and I was actually wanting to dry it out a, a little bit, just uh, draw out that timeline longer is that um, uh, I figured, okay, why not offer for her to stay in the house until the end of April? Uh, and my realtor just said, okay, you don't need to do that, but um, I can offer that uh, if you if you like. So I said, sure, you know, let's let's do that. Let's offer to let her stay in the house till the end of April. She should pay for the house in the meantime because it's not in my possession, which it uh, it should be, uh, and. 
apparently the current owner was overjoyed and uh you know drawn to tears because she was so overjoyed by that offer and uh so she could figure out her life and uh and finding a new home for her and um her kid or kids whatever the situation is there right great and then everybody starts getting in my ear about uh squatters and oh what if she doesn't move out and uh, and all these things in california uh errors on the side of the tenant and all, all of that right and i'm like oh my gosh what do i believe you know and then my realtor is like no that's not really a thing it hasn't been a thing since 2006 i've done a, uh, a lot of these it doesn't happen in this area people have money uh, and don't do that sort of thing right i'm like okay i just want to make sure i get my house at the end of this right that's all i care about he said, I have a house at the end of the uh, the, uh, the process and that I'm not the homeless one after I shelled out a shit ton of money. That's what I care about. So uh, need to make, needing to make sure I do everything right and, you know, and take into account the feedback that's been provided, but also uh, trust my realtor through this process as she's really reliable uh, and, uh, and has a good reputation, right? So that's kind of where where I'm at right now. Uh, I've signed the papers to allow uh, the current owner to, uh, I guess, le uh, rent back the the property in the meantime uh, uh, until she finds a, a new home. And in the meantime, I don't have anywhere I need to be right now either because I had given my landlord uh, until the end of May for for notice to uh, for my moving out. So that's a big thing on my plate. Also. Um, continue to uh, work on the uh, century ride that I'm building up toward with my buddy Joe. Uh, we are about halfway there. We did a 49 plus mile. I know we couldn't hit that 50th, uh, 49 plus mile ride uh, on Sunday. And um, uh, and it was, felt, felt great. I mean, I was good. I could keep going, could have kept going at the end of the 49 miles. Uh, it did help that we stopped for a beer about eight miles before the end at a uh, one of Joe's friend's house and uh, and we brought him around for a handful of miles as well and uh, on the ride and just had a good ride. Um, we did some more hills so that was uh, you know a bit of a challenge more but we were able to push through it and uh, and it was enjoyable. I really dug it. So proud of uh, how that's coming along and five more miles this weekend I think so maybe that takes us up to 55 I'm not I'm not sure if we're going all the way there so we'll see but um, but we're getting closer uh, early May is when we have that ride just the next week after uh, uh, after I technically get the keys and start the move in on my new house so lots of things shaking uh, good stuff I'm gonna try and get some rest in the meantime and uh, and shake this cold because it's no fun um, but I, it doesn't slow me down. I'm going to get out for a 49 mile bike ride. I'm going to do the Peloton still. I did a 30 minute ride yesterday afternoon with uh, a different buddy, my buddy John, and uh, it was my 1250th ride and I got a shout out on the Peloton. So, um, you know, that was, uh, that was cool. Things keep moving and shaking and you can't stop me. That's, a, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Um, all right. We're going to bring in Rick Ventura uh, from Riot Act. Um, thank you again to Rick for taking the time. Let's bring Rick on in. Rick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm, I'm awesome. It's Friday, no complaints, right? So, yeah, um, not yet. I know exactly. There's <laughs> still more time that. for a disaster. There's time. There's time. Um, yeah. So, I want to start out with um, how are you holding up right now? How are things uh, going for you? Uh, I mean, on this side of kind of where we're at in the the world right now. 
Uh, well, everything in the world is disturbing at the moment for the past two years, and and now what's going on uh, in Ukraine, so everything's kind of disturbing, but, uh, you know, we're just uh, pushing ahead, playing music, and uh, excited about the release of the album. Yeah, yeah, so so Riot Act kind of formed shortly before COVID uh, started, in, a, in an official sense, right? Yeah, yeah, about a year prior to that. Um, it, it, Lou and Lou Cavaris and I, uh, he approached me to, hey, let's get together and play, you know, let's never play together. Let's play some the old Riot songs, you know, so I was always reluctant to do it, but um, we were inducted into the Heavy Metal um, Hall of Fame a few years back and uh, on the plane <laughs> ride home, we both looked at each other. I said, hey, you know, I guess you're right. Maybe we should get together and play. Seems like the time is right, you know, after all these years, you know, there's always been a buzz about th that period of the band. And um, so we decided to get together and um, we jammed with uh, two friends of mine that I was playing with and it sounded really good, you know. It was it sounded really cool playing those old songs together. And Lou and I, like I said, never played them together, but uh, we just had, you know, big grins on our faces when we were playing. Yeah, did it feel like this piece of you that was missing for a long time? Piece of me missing? Yeah, yeah like, I mean, to, to kind of get back together and, and kind of play those old songs again. Well, you know, it's 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 always in you, you know, for a long period, you know, I, I viewed it as, all right, it's it was what it was and move on, you really can't recreate what had been so, um, but I always continued to write and that, I guess, write is just embedded in me from that period because we spent so many years together, you know, as teenagers, you know, I was around the band before the band even broke, you know, so um, it's been instilled in me for so many years. And uh, I, I would run into people or I, I would play somewhere and go, aren't you Rick from Riot? And it, was, it just never went away, you know, it's just so, it's like, wow, after all these years, people still really dig the band, you know, and still talk about it. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'm doomed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good thing. Yeah, and I guess we can get some of the heavy stuff out early. I mean, Lou, um, you, I mean, you, you kind of brought this about with Lou and then, uh, you know, we unfortunately lost Lou dirt, uh, to COVID. And like, what, right. tell, me, tell me kind of about going through uh, that experience and also the decision to, uh, keep moving, keep moving forward, keep that uh, march going forward, you know, after Lou passed. Right. Uh, Lou really, you know, he lit the spark. He was, um, he was just so excited about doing this. <clears throat> he would call me and, and then we, when we finally decided, like I mentioned earlier, when we decided to do it, uh, it was just like, we were on a roll. We, we, we recorded a six song EP. Um, constantly playing, rehearsing, and we got to perform together just one time um, in January, I think the second or third heavy metal 
Hall of Fame induction. So we actually played for the first time and the only time as a band because right after that COVID hit and, uh, and that was January. And then we lost Lou in, in March of that year. So everything just came to a halt and we were, we were just in shock. So sometimes I, I still can't believe he's gone. You know, it's, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, it was kind of shocking. So it really blew us all away. Um, we, we stopped what we were doing. Uh, I was really not sure what, what I wanted to do. Um, <laughs> because I was kind of, kind of really freaked out for, for quite a while. Um, I had all these songs, ideas I wanted to get out there. After a number of months, we all spoke, the guys in a band and they all wanted to play and I, yeah. I wanted to play and we just wanted to keep moving forward. Um, for, for us and for Lou, he would have wanted it to go on, you know? So we just um, started writing. Yeah. And then we just got back back in the saddle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. T tell me about the induction. Uh, what was that like for you? It was kind of hard to believe actually, because when we first heard about it, I, I was kind of shocked. Um, I guess you don't realize uh, how important the band was at that time. I guess it still is to some extent. Uh, at first, I, I didn't even want to go, but Lisa, you know, he says, "Oh, we, you know, we have to go," and everybody's telling me, "You're crazy. You have to go." You know, so it was it was a very cool ceremony. Um, it sort of um, woke up something in me uh, to to get out there and and really continue where he left off, basically. So um, it was it was emotional, you know. Lou and I really, you know, got a bit emotional because after all these years, you know, Rise was always under the radar. You know, we we were at, went fire down under came out we were touring and opening for rush black sabbath acdc i mean it, it, it was it was amazing the band was right at the verge of really hitting you know making it big and uh, we've just been st struck with tra tragedies of losing guy red mark and it was so um it seemed like, hey, maybe now's the time. <laughs> maybe after all these years, you know, it was worth sticking it out and, uh, you know, still playing and writing and putting something out there that I think the Riot fans and, and new fans will enjoy. Yeah. Would you, would you say it was kind of the loss of the previous members, the motions around that that kind of made you hesitant to to want to go to the induction ceremony? Um, I viewed it as a period that was over. There was so much frustration um, during that period with, uh, let's see, with, with, with management. There, were, there was always something going on. Nothing was ever smooth. 
we'd reach a point and then we get knocked down again and we'd reach a point and just lots of bad luck. You know, we, guy le had left the band while we were touring with Rush. So that was a major blow. Yeah. And then we had to, you know, find a new singer. So you know, we, we got Rhett and um, th that lasted for a few, two albums and, um, you know, just started, mm. started going the opposite direction. Direction of the band started to change a bit towards the very end. Um, so uh, it was just, yeah, it left a bad taste in my mouth. I was just like, wow, after all these years, you know, all the hard work we put in and it just kind of fizzed out. And uh, so, yeah, that probably, probably why I was a, a bit reluctant to go, but I'm, I'm glad I went, you know, so Lou and I rekindled a friendship and, um, and now the right act came out of it. So. So yeah. I guess it's meant to be, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I want to go back. I want to know a little bit about your, your childhood, what music you were listening to. Did your parents uh, have, you know, any musical influence on you? Uh, let's see. The influence, my, my parents always played um, mostly um, artists like Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra, Shirley Bassey, really old school. Um, yeah, I could probably, yeah, just just remember always hearing Tony Bennett in my home. <laughs> yeah. So it was always, yeah, that, that I actually met him once, so it was kind of cool. I got him to autograph the CD for my father. He was like thrilled. So, and I, and I, I was really kind of freaked out meeting Tony Bennett. This is a number of years back. So it was, it was like, you know, meeting like, uh, Jimmy Page or something, you know, like an idol, but it was, yeah, it was, it was left an impact on me. Um, in, uh, I was a little, I was a toddler. My mom took me to see A Hard Day's Night in the theater. Yeah. When it first came out, I must've been like, you know, maybe six or seven or something. And that left an impression because it was just screaming girls through the whole movie. And I was just like, what is going on here? You know, and, and just watching the reaction and watching the Beatles, just like, wow, what, you know, this was just like, it really left a mark in me, you know, yeah. at such a young age, but I didn't pick up the guitar till years later. Um, I started to get into, heavier music, I remember the first time, and I, I used to go to bed with the radio, transistor radio, and I used to listen to music constantly. And uh, I remember back in those days, the AM, this was the, the AM stations, and you would hear, you know, your typical pop stuff. And then all of a sudden you'd hear like Cream or Jimi Hendrix mixed in with all this pop stuff. And I was like, you know, I was a little, kid and I, I'm like what the hell is this this is just so out there and I, I just, you know just zeroed in on those bands and uh, I got into uh, Led Zeppelin Deep Purple and, and I picked up the guitar I'd say around 15 or 16 you know, a little later you know yeah so uh, yeah see back back you know so many guitar idols back then and they they had a major influence on me so that's how i really got into it 
yeah. Did you do the high school band thing also? Did you latch on with some? Um, not really. No, I was never in a high school band type of thing. Uh, it was, I mean, it was outside of school. I got together with friends. Yeah. Maybe I was, I'm just trying to think probably when I was 18, started to play. We played in garage. It was garage rock. So yeah. we played in our friend's garage, you know, and we play all the songs that of the bands we loved. So we played Highway Star, Dazed and Confused, <laughs> Montrose, which was a big influence on Riot. Um, yeah, we played it in the garage or a basement. And then yeah. uh, I, I met Mark Reale because uh, he lived around the corner from me. I remember going, walking down the block and hearing loud music blasting from this house, like I'm going, what is going on in this house? I remember going downstairs just like Marshalls on 10. Yeah. <laughs> Blasting into the street. It was like and the parents didn't care. And <laughs> it's just really funny. So I, I just fell into that world. Yeah. And your parents were supportive uh, as you were kind of yeah, getting they into were, there? Yeah, they were they were they were cool. That was into it. And my grandparents they, they, they bought me a guitar, uh, an acoustic guitar. And um I, I bought my first guitar. I, I actually went to see, I think probably, yeah, I had to be in my mid-teens. I went to see a, a Jimi Hendrix movie in the village. And I remember watching, yeah, he had passed obviously, this is years later. Oh yeah, not that much later actually. And, uh, and watching and being like, wow, this guy is from another planet. And I went out and bought a white Stratocaster. <laughs> I saved up all my money for Stratocaster. Yeah, that was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. And you you mentioned Montrose. You had the opportunity to uh, support Sammy Hagar on a British tour. Tell me, tell me about that experience. Yeah, that was wild because you know they were a big influence, uh, especially Mark. Mark loved Montrose, and uh, we all we all liked the band, and uh, it was cool, you know, meeting him and touring with him and uh it was the same high energy rock and roll that that we were doing and what he was doing so he you know came from the same school grew up on the same artists so it was it was a thrill you know we, we, get, we started to tour with bands that we listened to you know we got to tour at ACDC when Bon Scott was alive yeah. um that was it was a trip for us because we were so young yeah yeah, how was that ACDC experience? Oh, that was wild. That was just, it was just amazing touring with them. They were they were they were fun guys. They were just you know just regular down to earth guys. Hang out and have a drink with yeah. them, you know. Yeah, was, I remember doing laundry once with Angus's wife. It was just like so funny, you know. Surreal, <laughs> right? Yeah, it was just like wow. Just it was just funny stuff, you know. I always liked Angus his uh, guitar playing, I thought it was like electrifying. I always felt, uh, I used to watch him, it's like, wow, this, no one ever called ACDC. It sounds like he plugs his guitar right into a, a socket, not even to air, because he plays with such <laughs> intensity, such electricity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and how about Black Sabbath? You mentioned them earlier. Tell me about that, that tour. Yeah. How, how did that go for you? Yeah, I toured with them, um, with Ronnie, Ronnie Dio. That period, the Black and Blue tour, actually, a Blue Easter Cult was on the bill, and um, 
that was really something because I was I was a big Rainbow fan. I I, I loved Rainbow Richie Blackmore Rainbow and the deal when those albums came out. Yeah, I thought they were great. And then to see Dio with Sabbath, that, that was a great record, um, Heaven and Hell. So um, yeah, that that was that was really a trip, you know, because I mean Sabbath was such legends and um, got to hang with them. I remember going, we were in a hotel, the elevated door opens and Geezer Butler standing there with Bill Ward and I walk in and they were the nicest thing. Um, Geezer invited, he said, hey, come up to my hotel room, we'll hang out, you know? So I'm, I'm hanging out with Geezer Butler and Bill Ward and, and he, he was actually, we were telling him about the band. It was me and the bass player, Kip, we were um, telling what we were going through management-wise and all the struggles, and they were telling us what they went through, and they were giving us tips, you know, because we were young guys, and they, they they were just helping us out, you know. They were telling us exactly all the crap they went through and how they were screwed left and right by everybody, and you know, they were just saying, "Hey, watch out for this. You got to do this and this," and it was. It was uh, such a memorable, they were the nicest guys. They were su such great guys, I'll never forget that. Yeah, it took you under their wing a little bit, it sounds like. Yeah, they were, they were so cool, yeah. you know, so cool. Yeah, yeah. Last tour uh, question, you, you toured with so many amazing artists, so I gotta, gotta hit as many of them as I can. Kiss, tell me about Kiss. Oh, yeah, I never played with Kiss. Oh, really, okay. Uh, no, the, the band probably toured after I was gone. I, I never did, yeah. did, a, did a tour with Kiss. Unfortunately, okay. no. Okay. No. Okay. Then we'll, we'll stick with the other awesome ones. <laughs> um, but so, uh, when, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, Rush. Rush was, was you know, yeah. touring Rush during the moving pictures period. That was amazing. I mean, we were playing in my, um, I'm from Brooklyn, but we had um, played in Nassau Coliseum, which is like, you know, my own stomping grounds, you know, playing. Wow, we're playing, and everybody came to that show. You know, my parents that were there. Everybody was wow. You guys are playing Asshole Coliseum opening for Rush, and that, that was like so big, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that, and you know, it was, it was a trip. Uh, during sound check, we noticed Getty Lee would would check us out during sound check. Quite a few times, we saw him out front looking, checking us out. Yeah. And I, like wow, Getty's checking this out. You know, it was like wild. It was like yeah. they're very ever, nice, very nice guys too. Did you ever get nervous in those sort of situations, or did they oh. did the nerves start out and then subside? Or yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, especially playing a gig like that. You know, this crazy nervous energy, but it all works out good when you get on stage because it just uh, it just uh, helps you get going and it's sort of like uh, somebody kicking you from behind out. All right, now it's time to go out there and use that energy and the audience would just feed off it. I mean, we, you know, every time we opened all these big bands, we went over great. We always went over well. Usually you opening bands, it's like, oh, you know, we're opening for this band, they're gonna boo us off. But it was, that was never the case with Riot. Yeah. The audience always loved us, which was, which was amazing, really. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so tell me about the dynamic of the original uh, Riot lineup. Um, you guys formed in '79, uh, right? 
Oh, before that, the Even band, before that, okay. uh, there's so many incarnations of the band. Yeah, there was so many incarnations of the band. Um, at the, the Rock City lineup was Mark Reale, Guy Speranza, uh, Lou Cavares, Jimmy Iommi, and Peter Batelli. And that was essentially when the recording beginning of the band, there was a bass player, Phil Fight, who was originally the bass player in Riot. He was an important part in the early formation of Riot, but then Jimmy had replaced him on bass for, for the first album. Um, so then I, I came in on the second album. There was a lot of lineup changes until the, so it just had the right combination of people and then during Fire Down Under, that sort of happened where it just came, yeah. came alive. Yeah, and so tell me about Fire Down Under because I know you've said that's kind of where you really hit your stride, but there was a lot of turmoil around, you know, by the record label with that album too. Like, tell me, tell me about that experience. Uh, yeah, but they, they didn't feel there was anything commercial or a single on it. Um, they actually wanted a, another song released as a single and I, something that I had written um, and we we just didn't think it was the right thing at that time. So we, we were going, we were on Capitol, we were on Electra and uh, yeah, it was a lot of juggling with labels and trying to get the right people behind the band to support it. Um, there was a lot of issues with management and the labels. Uh, yeah, typical uh, turmoil, which yeah. really, yeah. really didn't help the band at all. Um, yeah, it's it's that's the depressing part of it. You know, I think back of it. I, I sometimes I don't even like to think about it and talk about it because it was just probably one of the reasons Guy might have left. I think just being fed up with all the, the, the politics and um, people taking too much of the band, you know, for themselves. Not enough yeah. pieces of to go around. So yeah. that was a downfall. It just must have been a real challenge to, I mean, to feel like you're at, you're clicking so well and the, and the, you know, and that what you have is, is freaking awesome, right? But not, get that support from the other side where you need it right yeah 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 i remember meeting with uh, a manager of a very big band called metallica when they were little kids right? i met them with little kids you've heard of them right <laughs> oh little, little little bay area garage band yeah. yeah i remember meeting him in new york and i was talking to the manager and he was telling us um telling it was me and him actually he, he was telling me you guys could be the next big thing he goes but you have to break away from your management and you have to and that really woke me up and I, I remember him introducing me to metallica see these guys over here they're going to be the next big thing and <laughs> i'm looking at them and they're just you know they're, they're like young kids yeah. and we're all sitting they were sitting on a sofa, you know, all lined up in a sofa. And it was just, oh, okay. Like, I, I knew nothing of them, you know, it was right before they broke. And uh, and then the next time, you know, Metallica hits, you know, and, and this guy was right on the money because 
we had talked about breaking away, but uh, it's it's so complex. There was some inner turmoil with the band. Some people didn't want to break away. Some of us did. So that really was detrimental. Yeah. And yeah. we should have should have broke away. And Guy might have still stayed with the band. Who knows? Yeah. So uh, so how much longer were you with the band after? Uh, after that? Uh, well, we did uh, Restless Bree with Red Forrester. Uh, he came into the band, he had a different style, a um, little bluesier, a lot of swagger. He, you know, the long blonde hair, and he just had this rock and roll image. You know, he just, he just looked at me, he just, he was, he was a very cool guy. He was very cool. He was a Southern boy, and, uh, we did Restless Breed and we did uh, Born in America. And, and that was it. You know, then yeah. I, I was gone. The band stayed on for a little bit. Then they all fell apart. Mark continued it and, and that was it. And I was just like, okay, uh, that's it for me. I'm, 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 I'm done with this. I'm, I'm just going to do something else. And, um, yeah, now we have to, all these years comes full circle, you know, <laughs> it's so strange. Yeah, yeah. And, and Ryan had a huge presence in Japan too, right? Like, yeah, we always, yeah, we always starting with, well, Rock City and Narita, um, yeah, the, the band just had made some kind of impression on the Japanese fans there. They just, they just loved, yeah, we had a song called Tokyo Rose actually, which really wasn't written for that reason. They just like, it just happened to be a song that guy wrote and uh, just turns out, you know, we started to develop a, a fan base there. And, and I was like, wow, I never, back then I never got to go to, we never went to Japan. Um, yeah. I know, Mark had gone later with the, his other incarnation of Riot, but um, I did go a few years back and played Loud Park. I think it was 2016. Um, Riot Five had asked me to go there and perform the Fire Done Under album with them. And that was kind of freaky. And I, I, and I, I did it. And, and this is before the heavy metal uh, induction. So yeah. I guess it's, it's kind of started right around then because Mark, Mark had passed away. And when I went to Japan, I could not believe the fans. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we, were, we played a huge venue. It was, it was a big, a lot of parks, a big festival. Like White Stake was on, it's Scorpions. It was a, it was a huge festival. And, uh, and we played for an amazing crowd and we, we did the whole album. And Afterwards, I mean, fans would just line up for autographs. And I was like, whoa, I was like blown away. You know, they were like thrilled to meet me. And it's like, oh, you know, what are you doing and all that? And I was like, that really woke me up. Yeah, I, I hear amazing things about the J Japan audience also, right? Like it's like they, they applaud really fast and then all of a sudden silence, right? Like they give, yeah. they give respect to the audience yeah, after that. It is, it is kind of amusing, but it's not, I mean, it's not amusing. It's, it's yeah. they're so respectful and they're just yeah. a pleasure to talk to. They're so polite, they're so into it. They're so, I remember being in the hotel 
after after the show. And one morning, it's early morning, I'm just walking in around the hotel and I'm noticing there's people following me, but they're a ways back. And I see they have albums. And then one of them approached me and just so politely said, oh, Rick, could you please sign these albums? And I was, you know, I was like, oh yeah, of course, you know, and they were just so, so thrilled and so so polite. I mean, there was like 10 people there, you know, and this was like 7.30 in the morning, just walking around the hotel and they were you know, signing the riot records for them. So that, that was kind of cool. I, I, I'd love to go back. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully one day we'll be back there. Yeah, and so you talked about Riot, Riot 5 and you kind of had started getting back together with them a little, uh, just before uh, Mark died, right? You know, so that, that kind of bridged that gap a little bit. Yeah, it was kind of, yeah, it was kind of, that was very weird. Uh, Mark uh, passed away because they were going to perform in New York and I hadn't seen Mark in years. And I was actually, I was going to the show. I was going to surprise Mark and go and, and see him. And some of my buddies were, and then it just never happened. But they, they actually did play and they asked me to come and do a song or two. And this is probably, this I think it's a year or so before, two, no, it's a few years before Loud Park. So that's actually the first time where I was sort of like brought into that riot area again after so many years. Um, so I did Swords of Tequila and Warrior and we had played BB Kings in New York. And that's, I think, where it really hit me even before Loud Punk. So I actually started with that gig. Um, after I played, there was people that came to see the band and they were walking over to me and there was a line of people wanting to meet me. And I was, I was just there and I played and I was just going to go home, you know, it was just... And there were some people from Europe and they were going, we came here never in a million years we would have expected to see you come on stage and play some songs. So I was, I was really blown away. I was, I was like, oh my God, wow, people really remembered. And so after that, it all started to snowball, I guess. And, you know, a few years back later, the Loud Park gig, and then the heavy metal um, induction ceremony, and then getting together with Lou and forming Riot Act. Uh, and that's, that's how we're here now. That's yeah. essentially how it happened, you know? Yeah. And so that, that leads you to the, the new album with, uh, with Riot Act that you have cl uh, closer to the flame. Um, right. Tell me, tell me about the process of pulling this album together. I mean, what's, what's changed, what, you know, and, and how, how did we get to this point? Okay. All right. So um, when we decided to get back and go forward after Lou's passing, um, I, I was, I had so many ideas and, and riffs and pieces of songs, like a, like a dozen, a dozen tunes that just needed, always needed a great vocalist. And, uh, 
that that was the frustrating part for me because for years I can never find a singer that can really put across the songs the way I heard them in my head. Yeah. You know, but, you know we tried different singers and it was just it just didn't happen. And when we first got done, um, we got him through a friend of Lou's who said, "Yeah, you got to check out this this guy Don, Don Chafin." And so uh, when we first played with Don, I sent him three riot songs. He learned them, and when we went to play him in the studio, like we, were, I was just like, "Oh my God, this guy's he's putting across the original riot songs really well," you know. But he's got his own thing going on, and he had the energy and the powerful voice. And I was like, "Oh wow, this is this is the guy I've been looking for for years," you know. So I started sending material to Don, and uh, he would he would write back, "Oh, this is great. I'm going to come up with something." And I, I sent him a dozen things, and he worked on them at his home. And we really, and this was during COVID, so it was a very weird. Everybody's, you know, trying to keep their distance. We were kind of spooked by lose, you know, losing Lou. And a lot of people, a lot of musicians in this area really didn't make it. So yeah. it, was, it, was, it was a very scary period. Um, so I did a lot of um, recording at home. I would do demos at home, give it to the band, we we would get together the just the three of us uh, Paul Claudio myself and we work on the ideas in the studio and we all wore masks and stayed apart from each other and uh, and and Don Don worked separately so we really never really played together as a band it was it was so such a weird recording process you know yeah and then we go into dip, yeah it was it was bizarro because I I remember saying wow. I, I've never worked like this. It just—it's just so weird, you know, so strange. Because back when we recorded the old records, it was like we were all together as a band, and we were constantly playing together, playing in the studio, playing in rehearsal space in our rehearsal studio, and um, so this came about in such a different, different way. But it came about really well so everything was sort of done in his studio at different times um a lot of stuff was worked out in the studio it was just a very unusual recording process but it, yeah. it came it came out great um you know for the struggles that we went through it it, it came out really well and we, we had we, we we had recorded six um uh, riot tunes for the EP, but then we did six more. So with this new album, there's 12 riot tunes that we did, and Lou, Lou is on them. And wow. there's 10 new songs on Closer to the Flame. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we did it. We're all proud of it. And it's going to be released uh, April 1st in Europe and the 15th in the States. So we're, we're pretty uh, thrilled about it. Oh, for sure. And you've recorded a couple of videos too. Uh, I mean, the, the Wanted video is pretty, pretty awesome. Tell me about that process. Yeah, Wanted was the first song that we did as a band, first original song. And um, that, um, I think 
captures the energy and the intensity of the of the band, and it's one of my favorite songs on it. And, and Don also he also likes it. So we, we decided to go with that for the video because yeah. we're saying, what are we going to do? What's what's going to really represent the band and and still have that and has that um, feel of the old riot, but with the new refreshing sound. And we just went with that song and uh, that was our first first release. And then we did uh, Stand or Fall. Yeah. Just released that a few weeks ago. And we'll be working on a, another one by the time the album's released. So the next video. So I have three videos out, three singles and uh, see where it goes. And was that kind of your approach as you went into this, right? You're like, okay, we want to pay respect to the original uh, Riot, you know, feel, but also keep it fresh and, and new at the same time. And well, that you, ever you know what? Uh, it's funny because the, the riffs and the songs I worked on, it was, it was just like how I, I write. This is, you know, yeah. this is me. I, I just... I wasn't like, oh, you're not going to sit here and analyze right records and try to, you know, I just, those are the songs I wrote, you know, the, the riffs and, and the chord changes and that's just, just what I do, you know, and that's how yeah. it just comes out. And Don just related to that so perfectly. So such a great writing partner. Um, he totally, he loved the, the changes and, and it just came out like that. So I guess, uh, you know, being in, the, in that band for so many years and the whole concept of the band and the kind of music that Mark and I had grown up on, it was very similar. So yeah. that's, that's what you're getting with Riot Act is just, you know, what comes out of me and Don and the band. Yeah, yeah. So a couple more questions uh, before we wind down. Uh, you shared a story um, on uh, in a video that you did about, um, I guess you sold a guitar back in 76, but you found it later, like five years later. Uh, tell me, tell me in a record store, right? Tell me that story. Oh, wow. Wow. Interesting that you know about that. Um, that guitar, the uh, Sunburst Les Paul is the guitar that I use. I actually purchased it in 76. Uh, and I used it on um, Narita and Fire Down Under in every subsequent, subsequent album um, and on Closer to the Flame. Um, for some reason, I had sold that guitar years back. But these are for the guitar geeks out there. Um, Mark and I had bought, I think this was 1980, Gibson had reissued the fabled Sunburst Les Paul for the first time. And Mark and I bought one, we each bought one. And I started to use it. And I just put my, the 70, 70 the guitar I bought in 76, that I put it aside, I wasn't using it. And for some stupid reason, I, I sold it. And then the, that guitar, the one I had purchased in 1980 was stolen at a gig. So I had no less Paul. And I was like, I was just devastated. I'm going, oh my God, I sold the guitar that I used on all those Riot records. 
it was such a great guitar. I'll never see it, you know. And, and I, I just that was it. I said, okay, well, that's it. And uh, and I was playing a, a, a Stratocaster for quite a while. So one day, I said, you know, I'm just tired of this. And I go into the music store that I originally bought that Les Paul from, and I was going to trade in the Stratocaster. And on the wall is my guitar. And it was yours. You knew it was yours. Oh, I, instantly. It, it's hanging on the wall. And I, and I look at the owner, because we, we had dealt with this music store for many years, because they, the, they were the neighborhood music store. Very nice guys, and they would lend us equipment and stuff like that. I said, where this, that's my guitar. He goes, like, I just brought it in the day before. What are the odds? What is, how does that? It, and I, and I, I just bought it right back then. I, yeah. I said, I have to, I just, I just walked out of the store. I was like in shock. I was, I was in shock. I actually got that guitar back and it's been, and this was, I don't know, probably early eighties, I guess. Yeah. Mid, no, probably mid eighties. I, I hadn't seen it in like five years or something like that. I mean, how bizarre is that? You know, that's crazy. Yeah, it was really crazy, and that, and that guitar, like I said, I bought it in '76, but I think it's a '70 or '69 actually. But but yeah, so that's that guitar is in the uh, Wanted video, so I was reunited with that. So yeah, and now, now this it's, the bands, it's it's sort of like this is all meant to be after all these decades, you know. It's yeah. like it's all meant to be, you know. There's some something behind it there. So uh, this album features that guitar on it. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's awesome. And I mean, with the band that had, has had, you know, clouds over it, you know, and challenges over all the years to present all the positivity for moving forward. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, so we're, we're on a new path now. Um, we, we decided to, 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 to continue and um, close to flame is the result of all the hard work we put in and all the guys in the, in the band, you know, Don Chapin, uh, Paul Ranieri, Claudio Glinsky, myself, uh, they're just great players. And there's a good chemistry with the band, you know, so we're really excited about it. And we'll be going on tour in, uh, in August, we're going to England. So we're looking forward to that and looking forward to the release of the album. You know, if yeah. people want to keep up to date, you know, check out riotactband.com and post uh, our latest uh, videos and little tidbits and uh, cooking tips and household tips, you know, I'll throw that in yeah. there too. <laughs> you do a lot of cooking? Yes, I do actually. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> what, what, what's your go-to dish? Oh, I, I love Italian and Mexican. Yeah. So I, I dabble in, in, in both areas. I'll do anything actually. Yeah. Nice, I, I like it. And and so the tour, do you see any US tour dates on the on the horizon? Not yet. Hopefully soon, because I'd love to play the States. Yeah. Fingers yeah, crossed. So Fingers. I, when we first started in Riot, uh, Texas was a big stronghold for us. So it'd be nice to go there. That would be cool to do some dates in Texas. But we'll see what happens. Uh, we I think we, we just got some dates in Spain now uh, in September. So so, so far it's um, England and Spain in August and September. So excited about that. 
Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, Rick, thank you for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure and, talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. Back at you. I mean, so many great stories from over the years and uh, unique, awesome opportunities and topped off with the guitar that, uh, that you were reunited with. So I love right. it. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, Rick, have a, have a great rest of your day and uh, um, good Take luck with care. the album release as well. Okay. Thanks so much. Take care. That was the interview with Rick Ventura from Riot Act here on Concert Pipeline. And that takes us to the final segment on the program, the music news. All right, I have a couple of stories to wind out the program today um, and what's going on in the music world. Uh, first off, uh, Dolly Parton, quite a badass, I'd say, uh, because she rejected the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nomination. Um, uh, she uh, announced that she declined her nomination to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, stating that she doesn't believe she's earned the right. Uh, even though I'm extremely flattered and grateful to be nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I don't feel that I've earned that right. I really do not want votes to be split because of me, so I must respectfully bow out, she wrote in a statement. Uh, I do hope that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame will understand and be willing to consider me again uh, if I'm ever worthy. This has, however, inspired me to put out a hopefully great rock and roll album at some point in the future, which I've always wanted to do. Um, so uh, so she, she may put out a rock and roll uh, album at some point, and then at 25 years, I mean, it's 25 years as, uh, as an artist that you uh, are considered. So I, I don't know that she'll really be around 25 years after whenever she puts out a rock and roll album. Just going to throw it out there. Uh, but I still think it's an awesome thing that she uh, she did. Uh, and she did it with class, let's say, because it's one thing to just shut it down and say, meh. But she, uh, she did it pretty classy and uh, kept true to her morals and that she's not really a, a rock artist. So didn't feel like she earned that right. So um, it makes sense, right? Um, okay, uh, there are a couple of big tours. A lot of artists are announcing their summer tours right now. We're in the, in the midst of that. So uh, ZZ Top is one of them. Uh, ZZ Top uh, have announced a new live album, North American Tour. Uh, they've announced uh, uh, this tour. It's Raw is the new live album. It's set to be released July 22nd via Shelter Records uh, and VMG. It's an 11-track LP recorded for the trio's 2019 Netflix documentary, that little old band from Texas. Um, and uh, let's see here. The set list includes Lagrange, of course. That's great. Awesome. Uh, Tush and Give Me All Your Lovin', uh, as well as deep cuts such as Brown Sugar and Certified Blues. Uh, it was, in a very real way, a return to our roots, Gibbons uh, and Beard reveal in the album's liner notes. Just us and the music, no audience of thousands, no concession stands, no parking uh, lot, social hour. Uh, no flantics of tour buses, just us and the music. We knew right then that it was a very special circumstance, uh, all of us in the same place at the same time, and what it, uh, a time it most certainly was. Uh, they said it also, it was as bare bones as when we first started touring in a behemoth Chrysler station wagon, driving vast stretches between those early far-flung shows under blackened Texas skies and first hearing our record on the radio. We were bonded as brothers. Uh, so this is their first lease since the death of Hill, who died at home in his sleep last year. Um, and um, 
In the liner notes for Raw, Gibbons and Beardad, the dust may have left the building, but he still is very much with us. Very uh, thoughtful. Uh, and so they're going to be hitting the Bay Area. Uh, that well, the Northern California, I guess we could say, uh, June 1st in Reading and uh, June 2nd in Saratoga. So uh, it's the Raw Whiskey Tour, but that is well before their uh, new album comes out. So if you wanted to listen to the new album first, you're not going to be able to. You have to see them and then really uh, continue to uh, enjoy their music through uh, their album when it comes out. Uh, another big tour that was uh, announced is Incubus. Incubus announced a massive U.S. tour with Sublime with Rome. Um, their uh, tour kicks off in West Palm Beach, Florida in July. Um, a number of stops along the way. The Aqua Dolls will also be joining uh, uh, the, the group on tour. And, uh, and that's going to hit the Bay Area at Mountain View uh, Shoreline on uh, August 26th, uh, one of the later dates of the, uh, of the tour. But there's a number of uh, dates listed there. Uh, their Incubus's most recent project was 2020's Trustfall Side B EP. Uh, and when asked about the progress of the band's next album, the uh, follow-up to 2017's Eight, Boyd told NME he uh, hoped to have something out by spring this year. Uh, well, we just sprung forward, so I guess it's time, isn't it? Um, although, also, side note. Uh, I did see today that the, um, the uh, uh, Senate uh, passed the bill that would make daylight savings time uh, permanent, which is uh, great. Uh, let's get rid of it, right? We don't need, we don't need a, a daylight savings time. Um, so uh, Brandon Boyd said, we went out and did some shows and we're all rehearsed up and ready to play. Our intention is to put together a new group of songs, whether it be an EP or an LP, they're not sure, but we're hoping to have that done some time by spring, but there's a lot of hope in that statement. So no promises, but they do promise a tour uh, coming down the road. So um, Bob Dylan has announced a new book, The Philosophy of Modern Song. This story is dedicated to Jens uh, and his fandom of Bob Dylan. Um, it's his first book since his 2004 memoir, Chronicles, Volume One: The Philosophy of Modern, The Philosophy of Modern Song. Out November 8th will be a collection of over 60 essays focusing on songs by other artists. Uh, he will analyze songwriters such as Stephen Foster, Elvis Costello, Hank Williams, Nina Simone. There's a number of them. Um, Bob Dylan analyzes what he calls the trap of easy rhymes, breaks down how the addition of a single syllable can diminish a song, and even explains how bluegrass relates to heavy metal. Um, these are essays uh, that are written in Dylan's unique prose. They're mysterious and uh, uh, poignant and profound and often laugh out loud funny. Okay, never laughed out loud at Bob Dylan, I, uh, I can fairly say, so I don't know that I'd be looking to his writing for humor but I'm open to being swayed and uh, interested in what he would write that is, uh, that is comical. Speaking of comical, uh, Grimes. Uh, Grimes revealed a secret second baby with Elon Musk. Um, so uh, they had a secret second baby together via surrogate in December. Uh, they uh, revealed uh, in a new interview with Vanity Fair, news of their new daughter, whose full name is Exa Dark, uh, side rail Musk, uh, but they call her Y. 
following her older uh, brother nicknamed X, comes six months after a report that Grimes and Musk had broken up. Despite the reported split, the pair welcomed their daughter three months later, with Grimes also moving to Musk's new home base in Austin, Texas in December. Um, so they were asked by Vanity Fair whether the two were still together. Uh, Grimes said, there's no real word for it. Uh, I'd probably refer to him as my boyfriend, but we're pretty fluid. We live in separate houses. We're best friends. We see each other all the time. Uh, we have our, our own thing going on and I don't expect other people to understand it. No one needs to judge. Everybody can do their own thing. The naming of the children is pretty out of this world though. But uh, you know, Elon Musk doesn't live in this world very much and that's what makes him a cool free thinker. Dig it. Um, all right. So uh, one more story before we wrap. And of course, that has to do with Mr. Dave Grohl. And this one um, is a story that I uh, just thought was really interesting. He was recently on uh, The Late Late Show with James Corden. Uh, and uh, it's a pretty funny segment. There's, uh, he actually, uh, James Corden it plays on the keyboard uh, some Foo Fighters song. James Corden admits he freely doesn't know how to play the keyboard at all. This is a little uh, handheld keyboard, and Dave uh, Grohl has to guess the, the songs that he's playing. Uh, very difficult to do, um, but it's a, it's a funny segment. But before they got to the silliness, uh, uh, Dave Grohl was asked about his work ethic and how he does everything he's done because he's inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for the second time. He made a comedy horror film that apparently was a flop right uh still haven't seen it yet though uh intend to uh in the future um and he's put out a new album he, and he's uh going i think he's currently in australia uh because the uh, uh country just opened up and they wanted to be the first band to play in australia so here's his story uh i'm just gonna let him uh say it here um from the james Corden. so because uh he doesn't sleep and he marches to the beat of his own drum and this is a great summary of why we talk about dave Grohl uh, every week here on concert pipeline and just i don't sleep much and there are times when i'll wake up in the morning at 4 30 in the morning and i'm just like oh my god what, what what can i do today like the other about two weeks ago i woke up opened up my phone looked at the news and saw that Australia was opening its borders yes. for the first time in years. It's at February 21st. And at five o'clock in the morning, I text my manager and I'm like, we need to go there next week to be the first band to go down. And so he's like, okay. And so this weekend, we're going to go down there and play the first big show. That oh, that's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yes. Uh, it is amazing because they can do that. They just are like, hey, we're going to play in Australia. Cool. All right. Peace. Uh, let's go do it. That's Dave Grohl. That's Dave Grohl. And there's like no one like him. I mean, it's, it's just incredible what he does. And uh, it's, he does his own thing. And he's so creative. He doesn't like to do what other people have done. Uh, and he always tries to find a way to do something new, which in this world is extremely impressive. And I bow down to him. Uh, so grateful uh, for all he's done for the music world and that I've been able to meet him twice uh and uh and he's just been super cool both times uh, so that is dave Grohl, uh and that is our show for today here on concert pipeline so i want to thank you for tuning in um and next week on the program we will have uh, albert cummings 
Uh, I had a chance to talk to Albert about his 10th album uh, and so much more. Uh, so you'll have to tune in to check that out. For all of us here at Concert Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. I'll catch you next time.